Our scripture reading this morning is Exodus chapter 7, verse 1 through 13. And our message today is entitled, Moses and Pharaoh. This is the Lord's word. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of, this, of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves, by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Before we start this message, I just want to say some words of encouragement to all of you. It's been a rather busy week. Why? Well, because God doesn't rest. God is always moving in people's lives. And when we just take the time to stop and to share what the Lord is doing in our hearts and what the Lord is doing around us, we see a mighty God at work. This past week, I had the opportunity to meet with people who are ill and, and to talk to people who are ill and to hear them tell about the mighty works of God and how God himself is the one who heals and how God himself is the one who comforts. Uh, myself and two of our elders went down to Emory to interview four students for membership and just hearing their stories, very different from my stories, the way I grew up, but knowing that it's the same God who is working in them the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your parents, perhaps, and hopefully our children as well, that the same God is at work, no matter what culture we live in today. I want to encourage you to know that if you open your eyes, that you will see God doing his work in you, and in the people around you. 
We come together on Sundays to celebrate God. We come here unencumbered by the noise of the world, do we not? So we can sing these songs to the Lord, songs that seem silly to the outside world, but to us we sing with our hearts because they are words of truth, words of life, words that allow us to worship the God who made us and saved us. We can look around this room and we see people who long for the Lord, and we see people who are here wanting to know, God, are you really who you are? And I encourage you after service, say hello to one another. There's no one in this room who's going to bite your head off. <laughs> We're just Asian. We're just not good at saying hi first. But just say hello. And know that the Lord is at work here in this church, here in this room. As we continue our series in Exodus, we see the showdown between Moses and Pharaoh. Our passage today, though, pictures it as a showdown, not simply between Moses and Pharaoh, but a showdown between Yahweh, God himself, and the gods of Egypt. There will be a battle between these two divinities. And the question will be, who is God, the God of the Hebrews or the gods of the Egyptians? Now, in their stead is Moses on the one hand acting as God for God. And as you probably know, watching all the Indiana Jones movies, right, and all the Egyptian movies of the mummy and stuff, you have Pharaoh, who himself is a divine being, representing the gods. He himself is a type of God in the Egyptian religion. And with Moses versus Pharaoh, Moses has his prophet Aaron to do all his dirty work the one to throw the staffs, the one to outstretch his arms, the one who does all the miracles, all the plagues or the strikes of the Lord against Egypt. On Pharaoh's side, he has his magicians and his soothsayers to do the same likewise. Two armies about to face off. And the question is, is who is going to win this battle. Now what's beautiful about this picture is that this passage tells us the age of Moses and Aaron, 80 and 83 years old. There's no one here in this room who's 80 or 83 years old. My father is 83. He's retired. Moses is just starting. Aaron is just starting. It's like, Dad, you're lazy. But there's this picture of grace and this picture of understanding that God calls those who appear to be weak, to be outside of, 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 the, of their timeline of strength, to be outside their timeline of productivity. That God is someone who can use anyone, who uses everyone who is weak, everyone who knows that they are imposters, that those of you who come to him, 
that God can use you mightily. So whether you are a little child who's under 10 years old, whether you're a college student, whether you're someone who's older, and you ask the question, can God use me? Remember, God is using Moses. And if you remember Exodus chapter 3, if we sort of want to, if we could recap that a little bit. Here is a man who saw, who saw a bush burning, but not being consumed. A man who heard the very voice of God. A man who still doubted that voice. A man who still was meek and, meek and did not want to follow God's command to go. And yet God still uses Moses in his doubts, in his old age, and with his past. So the beautiful thing for you and I, just here in the beginning, to see these two armies lined up, is you have Moses and Pharaoh. Now, if you watch the, the movies nowadays, you know, you'll see that Moses is always cast as this really virile man. But if we were really to cast this, Moses would be this frail, older person. No one would see the movie. But we see a man being used by God for his grace and his glory. And so be confident that God can use you as well. Now, as we sort of look at this narrative of what is going on, we see that one of the themes that we'll see all through Genesis, Exodus 1 through 18, and as you've been following along in our devotionals that we have up, in our, up on our website, you'll see that one of the questions that comes up is, did Pharaoh harden his own heart, or did God harden Pharaoh's heart? And this is a very important question that we ask. Did God himself prevent Pharaoh from obeying and letting his people go? Or did Pharaoh, by his own free will, harden his own heart in disobedience to God? This notion of God's sovereignty and free will, of election and free will, has been a stumbling block to many people. But I want to try to address it here in a cursory form. There's a lot of things to talk about. But I want to ensure you, brothers and sisters, that this is not a problem for the believer, and it should not even be a problem for humanity. Let me tell you why. These types of paradoxes, apparent paradoxes, these types of antinomies where two things appear to be in contrast but really are not in contrast, is part of being human. It's part an endemic of creation that we live in today. 
And in fact, every human being, and I would say every person here in this room, already lives with paradoxes and is okay with it. How many of you here are pre-health or pre-med? Don't raise your hand because there'll be too many hands going up. But all of you here have taken physics one time or another. And for those of you who are pre-med, you've taken PCHEM as well. And when you take these classes, you come to the, the section where you talk about light being a particle and a wave. And if you know anything about physics, you know that those two are just not, they don't go hand in hand with one another. Things are either a particle, something solid, or something that's a wave, something that's electromagnetic that goes through without any mass. But light is both. Light is both. And, and back when the, when the Young's double split experiment, for those of you guys who remember, when, when that experiment went through, People were incredulous. What, what is going on? But we've come to the point now in our life where we accept it. Light is both a particle and a wave. But imagine if you live in that day and you said, that paradox, that antinomy does not make sense to me. It has to be one or the other. I would say to you this. If you reduce light to simply a particle and not a wave, there would not be life on this earth. The other way around, too. If you reduce light to a wave and not a particle, there would not be life on this earth. You talk to, you go to your department, you talk to your physics professor, and they would just go like this. It's just the way it is. Now, in today's society, we have quantum physics. And quantum physics is the same way, right? Those of you who took PCAM, your first two weeks were probably really hard for you, right? And you come to the wave function, and you start to realize in the wave function, you have a particle part and a wave part. And you start to learn the more about, about physics. You start to learn that particles are, are entangled with one another. And you start to learn that there's determinate aspects of quantum physics and indeterminate aspects. And in between that, there's something called probability. And today, if you watch the news about quantum computing, cryptography, you're like, wow, look at all these practical things that we can do knowing the science behind quantum physics. But no one bats an eye anymore about this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And I would say for almost all of us here, we don't even think about it. We just live in that world. Your, your computers, without quantum physics, we, we, don't, we don't have that. The medicines that you have, without quantum physics and the understanding of how atoms are formed and molecules are formed, we don't have it. Science itself 
is full of ambiguities, full of paradoxes. And yet we accept it and we live in that world. And I would even propose to you that if those paradoxes did not exist, this world would not exist. Think about that. The periodic table, eh, there is no periodic table. <laughs> Our created world is a reflection of a God who is deeply involved in every work. The world may not see it. The world may just scratch their heads and bury their, bury, bury their heads and just move forward. But we know that it is Christ who holds all things together. And we worship him as pre-health people, as doctors, as scientists. Now, if we, as, as just non-believers, just people creating God's image, can sort of grasp that and understand that, then this idea that God himself is one who hardens people's heart, and also that Pharaoh himself hardened his own heart, shouldn't be as difficult to understand. You see, the Bible teaches both of those things, and the Bible teaches in such a way that they never seem as contradictory, never. You're not gonna look at, you're not gonna find in the Bible treaties about, is it God who did it, or is it man who did it? Is it free will, or did God choose? Both of them work hand in hand with God's sovereignty and electing power being the ultimate foundation of all things. But they're never in contradiction to one another. Theologians have, have often said, well, let's say, let's do this thought experiment. Let's say it is all simply free will, and there is no God who is sovereign over all things. What would life look like? Well, think about it. If there was no God superintending all things, and everything was up to you and your will, if every choice that you made had repercussions for not only the immediate future, but the far future, now, we don't experience this because God is gracious to us. But if we lived in the world like that, man, for those of you who already have a hard time choosing what cereal to choose in the morning, for those of you who have already have a hard time going to Starbucks and figure out what coffee you want in the morning, how much more would it be difficult to make any decision? Oh, if I major in this, then is my life going to be in ruins? Because like the butterfly effect, one wrong choice could bring a monsoon to the other side of the world. Or let's say the other way. Let's say, okay, everything is really God's sovereignty, that God does everything, that God doesn't give us any choice. Well, what type of life is that as well? Like, well, why should I make any choice? Let me sit back and just whatever happens, happens. But underneath God's sovereignty, the Lord has given us free will. 
And to have those two together enables us to live the life that you live now today. In fact, without it, being human does not make any sense. Because we know that our choices matter, right? But we also know by God's sovereignty that he will take us to the place that he has foreordained us to go and joy. Both have to be there for us to live a life of hope, a life of love, a life of meaning. Now for many of us here as believers in Christ, we don't go into the depths of that as, you know, theologically, perhaps, but you live it, do you not? You live it by the way you pray. You live it by the way you hope. You live it by the way you have confidence in God. We need both. The world is full of apparent paradoxes or antinomies. The world is full of them. But it's what makes us human and what makes life, life brothers and sisters. Do not fear these, these doctors. Do not fear these things, but embrace them. Because this is the way that God has made you. And so when you look at this and it says that God hardened his heart, and later on, Pharaoh hardened his heart, or, or just, just, a, just a passive sentence, his heart was hardened. Well, which is it? It's all of them and above. Our God is a God who sovereignly made all these things. He is the one who holds all of these things together, and he is to be worshipped. So, brothers and sisters, if this is a doctrine, if this is something that's difficult for you, I hear you. But I want you to know that it's not simply a Christian thing. It's a science thing, too. If anyone here is a philosophy major and you want to do philosophy of science, uh, where the research is going, where the, um, where, the, uh, where the writings are going, they're talking about indeterminism and determinism together and how they work together. They've accepted it. How do we describe it today? You look at that and you go, that's, that's a Christian thing. Our God is good. All right, that was a little bit of a sidetrack. But I want you to know that God is in control. And God has given you the choice to love him as well. So here we are, right? Face to face. Yahweh versus the gods of Pharaoh. And we see that the, the first miracle that is done here, not the first plague or the first strike, but the first miracle that is done here is that God himself says, listen, let my, Pharaoh says, let my people, sorry, Moses says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no. And God tells Moses, he'll Aaron, right, to throw out your staff. And the staff becomes what? A snake, a serpent. Why a serpent? Why a snake? Why not some other creature? Well, the main reason it became a snake is because the snake itself represents authority. 
The staff itself represents authority. So together, the staff and the snake represents authority. You know, if you see the pictures of the pharaoh, right, the King Tut especially, go down to Emory, go to that nice museum, right, and you'll see um, the, 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 the headpiece that the pharaoh wears, and it, it's a snake that's in front, right? Okay, well, I don't have any pictures, but let, take my word for it, it's a snake in front. A repre it's representing that pharaoh himself is representing the gods. And what God is saying is that I am the one who has authority, not your gods. And then what happens? And, and this is interesting, right? It's like God himself at this point is not simply destroying all the other gods or the appearance of these gods, but God is allowing these false Egyptian gods to manifest. I always find that curious. They too tossed their staffs and they became snakes as well, showing that they could do similar things that Yahweh could do. Now we know today that that magic was done by Satan himself, that God allowed that to happen. God allowed that demonstration of power. What does God do? If you watch the movies, right, the, the serpent of Moses' staff eats and consumes the serpents that the magi Egyptian magicians had performed. Again, telling Egypt, telling Pharaoh that God himself is the only God to be worshipped, that there is no magic no divination that is greater than God himself. Now, this is important for us today. We, we live in a world where people are seeking after spirituality. We are. The more and more modern we become, the more and more secular we become, the more we look for the transcendent somewhere. And there will be sort of counterfeit gods or counterfeit expressions of divination that are there. You see it, I see it. And they may look like God himself, but they're not. You see, the only miracles that you and I long for are miracles that point us to God himself and to Christ himself. Because even though there might be many miracles that happen in the world, many false and counterfeit miracles that happen in the world, it is only when God does his work of grace, work of election, work of changing people's hearts, that we come in agreement and say amen to God. For there's only one God that you and I worship. And that's God himself. Now, if you follow along, hopefully many of you are following along in our devotions that we have 
put up on our website as we go through Exodus 1 through 18. But if you ever watch any of these movies, they'll go through the 10 plagues, right? Because this is a setup for the 10 plagues. And if you watch the 10, if you watch it, they never go each plague and say, let's do the first plague. It lasted seven days. All right, let's give the same amount of time to that. Okay. Plague two lasted X number of days, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And let's sort of show the extended version, the uncut version of that. Why do they not do that? Because it'll be a really long movie. Instead, the plagues are done in a montage, right? Prince of Egypt, it's like a, I think it's like a two-minute like musical, and they just go through all of them. You know? And so let's just get to the, let's just get to the other end of things. I want you during this week to read those plagues and to understand how long it took the Egyptian people, Pharaoh especially, to understand that the God of Yahweh is the only God to be worshipped. I want you to see and understand that God does not share his glory with anyone. That God wants all peoples and all nations to know that he and he alone is the only God. And every Egyptian God that he faces, he will destroy, he, and he will destroy. And yet this story of redemption, the story of how God waits to save Israel. The story of his long suffering, the people's long suffering. Wait for the right time, the right moment. It's the story of redemption as a whole. Right? How many of us, we, we don't want to see the, the 10 plagues. Once you roll it quickly, okay, Moses has let my people go, plagues, all right, let's go. <laughs> And oftentimes in our lives, right, we're just like, God, why is it that the story is so long of redemption? When after Adam fell, why is the story so long until Jesus comes? Why do we have to wait so long? Why do we have to wait until X billion number of people are on this earth? God has a plan that you and I do not know about. But God waits. God long suffers to the right moment when he sent his son, Jesus. And he has redeemed us through him. And we celebrate that in Jesus and Jesus alone is the ultimate expression of God's sovereign power. But I also want you to know that within this redemptive history is your own personal history. I don't know how long you are waiting for God to, to really touch your heart. Some of you just simply grew up in the faith. And you're, you're here because you grew up in the faith. Praise be to God. But you're waiting until God says to you, I am your God. And you're waiting for that moment where you can say to God, you are my God. God has his timing. God understands what you need. God understands the questions that you have. 
and God will reveal himself in the end. Be patient with him. Be patient with yourself. Continue to seek after him, and he will show himself to you. Praise be to our Lord. Next week, we'll go through some of the, the plagues, and we'll see how God himself is uh, interacting with the world and showing the world that he indeed is God. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy in all things. Lord, there is no one like you. Lord, this showdown between you and the gods of Egypt, we know what's going to happen. But it's more of us watching how you do things, Lord God. How you will not share your glory with another. How you do bring judgment, but at the same time, you will bring mercy as well. To show us, Lord, that you are the one who is sovereign over Pharaoh's heart, and yet Pharaoh is still culpable for the choices that he makes. All these things that we see playing out in this story, Lord God, we simply bow down to you and worship you. For Lord, none of this can make sense. None of this, Lord, has meaning without first knowing that you are the sovereign God who created all things. You are the sovereign God of justice and mercy, and you are the sovereign God who in your time will save. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Be with our church. May you continue deep in our faith in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.